This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with groups today from The Young Turks, The Majority Report, Le Show, The David Pakman Show, The Jimmy Dore Show, On the Media, and Counterspin. And a note of warning that about two-thirds of what you're about to hear refers to mostly meaningless bullshit, because that's just what politics does to us sometimes. What I'm seeing in the Benghazi story is a success by Republicans to merely get reporters to essentially parrot talking points uh, from Republicans. So let's start with some fight back first a little bit, which is good to see uh, uh, from the President of the United States. Here's Barack Obama today after being hammered over the weekend, his, his, hammered over the weekend his administration was on Benghazi. Uh, Obama comes back uh, strongly today. The emails that you allude to were provided by us to congressional committees. They reviewed them several months ago, concluded that, in fact, there was nothing afoul in terms of the process that we had used. And suddenly, three days ago, uh, this gets spun up as if there's something new to the story. There's no there there. I always like there's no there there, a little Gertrude Stein. So a couple other talking points that are getting completely parroted here. There's a bunch of sort of parts of the Republican narrative that just simply aren't true. This is a story about changing talking points. Talking points, which, by the way, are inherently political. That's what they are. A lot of people of the same political persuasion get together and decide how they're going to attack an issue. Uh, the talking points were altered slightly with the CIA, the White House, and the State Department involved. That's all that happened here. This is not yet even close to a scandal about what happened in Benghazi. It's merely a scandal about how the White House talked about what happened in Benghazi. And there are a couple of ridiculous notes to it today. So, uh, first of all, you see in a number of media reports, uh, press people using the word scrubbed. As soon as they use the word scrubbed, they're buying completely hook, line, and sinker into the GOP's talking point. Because scrubbed, the word scrubbed about the talking points suggests that there was something nefarious to it. That what happened was they were scrubbed clean because there was dirty stuff in there that they had to scrub out. So Candy Crowley, uh, everybody in the Fox News certainly uh, using the word scrubbed. So, uh, and as uh, uh, on uh, Fox News Sunday, Dennis Kucinich, who's now a Fox News consultant, I feel good about this because I never liked that little prick. Um, and I, I, he was on the right side of a lot of issues uh, that very few people were on the right side of on, so it was hard to say that. But now he's gone aboard to Fox News, and his answer to a question from Chris Wallace was incredibly disturbing. So Chris Wallace essentially asks him that question, did they scrub it? Was this political? And Dennis Kucinich, and I'm going to paraphrase his response, he goes, of course they were looking to cover the president on the eve of the election. Are you kidding, Kucinich says. He goes, unfortunately, Americans died. People who believe in America weren't protected. Uh, and that's outrageous, Kucinich says. Um, uh, we went in there essentially to protect Libyans, and we couldn't protect ourselves, suggesting also that on the eve of a presidential election, everything becomes political. Well, again... That's what's happening on Fox News. CNN, same thing. Uh, Susan Collins is on CNN. Candy Crowley asks uh, 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 Susan Collins essentially this question. She goes, was it a cover-up on the scale of, of, and then she doesn't say anything, but you know she just, she's dripping, she wants to say Watergate so badly she wants to say Watergate. Uh, and then she says, do you think it was done to get the president elected? 
the changing the talking points. What's absurd is that we know now that what happened was is that the CIA signed off on those changing the talking points on September 14th. The president had already called it an act of terror. Uh, General Petraeus testified that the intelligence community signed off on all those changes and that they weren't made to help Obama, but they were made simply to leave out specific agencies, specific groups, al-Qaeda uh, and Ansar al-Sharia, to say that they weren't involved because that might have compromised the investigation. That's not that complicated a point, that they removed those groups because they didn't want to compromise the investigation. That has nothing to do with whether the act itself was terrorism, but naming specific agencies were taken out. However, again, following a Republican talking point 100%, Martha Raddatz and Jonathan Carl of ABC on this week, on Sunday, both parrot that both ways talking point. If the president said it was an act of terror, then why didn't that appear on the talking points? Can the White House really have it both ways? You know, Martha, you mentioned in the interview with Senator Reid that the White House has tried to have it both ways. It's not both ways. The both ways, that the Reds, that what they're arguing, what Jonathan Carl's point and Martha Raddatz's point is, is that Barack Obama's trying to have it both ways by saying it's an act of terror and removing any mentions of being an act of terror from the talking points, except they didn't remove the idea that it was an act of terror from the talking points. All they did was take out references to specific groups, and yet it's just so maddeningly frustrating to see res allegedly responsible journalists like Martha Raddatz and Jonathan Carl just parrot what is clearly like you don't. I don't need to. I don't need to be like Rush Limbaugh and wave some paper in my face like I found the GOP talking point. But you know the word scrubbed, and you know having it both ways is a GOP talking point. You know it, and they're by it, and it's not the same. It's not the same. This is not a cover-up. This couldn't be less of a cover-up. But you still have Republicans, and it's interesting because it sets up this dynamic inside the Republican Party of those who are moderately responsible about this, and I use the term moderately, incredibly liberally, and the wingnut section of the party, which the moderately responsible portion of the party has to pay so much attention to. Uh, case in point, uh, clip five, uh, John McCain having to respond to some lunacy from Senator Jim Inhofe. Inhofe had been irresponsible earlier in the week, and McCain very carefully has to disassociate himself from Inhofe. Here's that clip. People may be starting to use the I word before too long. Okay, okay. The, the I word meaning impeachment. Yeah. Of all of the great cover-ups in history, we're talking about the Pentagon Papers, the the Iran-Contra, Watergate, and all the rest of them, this is going to go down as the most serious, most egregious cover-up in American history. I, I, with do, do you due agree respect, with that? With all due respect, I, I, uh, I think this is a serious issue. I will even give the president the benefit of the doubt on some of these things. The most uh, serious uh, cover-up in the history of America. History of America. We lied about the Iraq War. We, we, didn't, we lied about Vietnam. We lied about the Iraq War. But this, an issue of whether too many people who were maybe, who were, I could see definitely worried about politics, changed talking points that didn't change the facts on the ground about what happened. The only thing that should matter about Benghazi 
is what happened and how do we make sure that we don't leave diplomatic outposts in dangerous areas that isolated. And we shouldn't have in the first place. And I think that everyone in charge at the State Department who ran security there for those, uh, for, for Chris Stevens and for the, uh, for the other three Americans who were killed there, uh, has to answer to that, as does the CIA. And then you could argue, as does Hillary Clinton and ultimately Barack Obama. But those things happen. And this, uh, uh, there is no massive cover-up of the proportions of Watergate or Iran-Contra about a discussion and changing talking points about it in any way. The lights go on, the lights go off When things don't feel right I lie down like a tired dog Licking his wounds in the Yesterday, the president fired the acting head of the IRS, whom he didn't appoint in the first place. Um, and he didn't appoint to the, the head of the IRS, who was actually overseeing supposedly these wayward people in Ohio. Now, Ohio was basically the office that collected these applications for the 501 C4 applications. And this story is just tremendously overblown. It's just tremendously overblown. Yes, maybe they should have used a more sensitive, a politically sensitive term than Tea Party to wade through this mess. But they sent the same letters to Democratic-leaning places. In fact, it was uh, they rejected more left-leaning or democratic-leaning outfits than right ones. So nobody got rejected. And this is for a special tax-exempt status, and it's really not even for that, frankly. It's just so that you can hide your donors. General welfare, my foot, ladies and gentlemen. My foot has more to do with the general welfare than most of these organizations as far as I'm concerned. So what I would like to see, and I, and I believe there is a reintroduction of the Disclose Act. How about this? There should be no, no organization that you can give to unless it's a wholly 100% provable that it's just for social welfare where you don't have to show your donors. No more of this. We do half and half, or we do 51%, 49%, and that's why we're going to protect our donors new. Show your donors or show that you're 100% general welfare, you're not involved in politics or electioneering, let's say. And then you're going to see no applications for a 501c4 uh, status, or very few, because the only reason why they're doing this is to hide who's donating money to them. And they want to politic. Otherwise, these people would give the money to a super PAC or do a PAC and just have to uh, disclose. So that's the way to deal with this. And if the administration 
really wants to take this off the table, which it doesn't seem like, you know, they want to make it look like President Obama's really on the case. We've hired a guy who had nothing to do with it. But if they really want to get it off the table, they would start to push that, and it would force the Republicans into a box. From CPR, Continental Public Radio, the President's Weekly Address. Now, speaking from deep inside the White House, the President. You know, Washington, D.C. is a funny town. Lots of good Americans come here to do the people's business, to try to deal with the country's problems, and to do their best to solve them. Then, there are the Republicans. Rather than roll up their sleeves and work together to make our economy even stronger, to make our banks even bigger, and to make our country even safer from the ever-present threat of the possibility of terrorism, some Republicans, not all of them, just want to whip up any suspicion of wrongdoing into a firestorm of scandal. They've done it before. And now, to quote one of their greatest presidents, there they go again. This week, we've heard... Scandal-mongering once again replace adult discussion of the need to reach a grand or even just a great bargain on budget and debt issues. Our Republican friends are beginning to confirm our worst suspicions, that they're not really our friends. Accusations are flying that somehow I must have known about or even approved of rogue personnel in the IRS acting totally irresponsibly, that I must have been manipulating our understanding of the complex and chaotic situation in Benghazi, or that I somehow sent stormtroopers goose-stepping into the offices of the Associated Press. Well, I don't know those IRS officials, and I certainly don't know all the people involved in the Benghazi situation. But I can tell you this. After four-plus years, I know our Homeland Security folks pretty darn well. And the one thing they don't do is goose-step, especially in offices. In each of these cases, there are sets of facts that can and will be known. And that will be the time for accountability for whoever did whatever wrong. But the American people sent us here to look forward, not backward. If I'd known our Republican friends were going to be so dedicated to finger-pointing, I'd never have decided not to investigate charges of torture in the previous administration. So, in the weeks and months ahead, we'll cooperate with responsible investigations, and we'll provide whatever information we have in a manner that protects the national interest, as you have elected us, to define it. But we've got a lot of work to do. To help our middle class prosper. To help our financial sector thrive. To help the right side in Syria, as soon as we can determine what side that is. And to solve our fiscal problems once and for all, at least until next year. I hope I can count on you to remind our Republican friends that constantly looking in the rearview mirror is no way to drive. Have a good week. Funds for this program came from the John and Dolly Herzog Foundation for coverage of issues the Herzogs like. This is CPR, 
Continental Public Radio. This program can only do what it does because of the members who support the show for as little as $5 a month. And as thanks for the support, members now get access to bonus content, including additional voicemails and clips that didn't fit in the big show, and additional stories and discussion topics from me. Plus, I've organized a full archive of the show, including a curated selection of my favorite past episodes, as well as a collection of my absolute favorite radio clips from all sorts of places. All that now available only to members. If you're already a member and want access to all this great content, draw me an email at j at bestoftheleft.com so I can get you set up. And if you're not yet a member, you can sign up now at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Last Friday, so just before the weekend, the Associated Press received a letter from the Justice Department informing the Associated Press that the government had already done something that should make every American insane with rage. That's not what they said. That's what I'm saying. The government had acquired two months of telephone records. This is them saying to the AP, we already have these phone records. Incoming numbers, outgoing numbers, call duration for more than 20 lines, associate, uh, 20 lines associated with the Associated Press. Among those phones were AP offices, personal lines for reporters, and the AP phone in the House of Representatives press gallery. All of those lines, the government had the call durations and who the calls were to. I can't imagine how they got them. <laughs> anyway, this has been the, the letter the AP received has not been made public, but it apparently the government provided no reason for the seizure. But we think it relates to a May 2012 story that the AP broke, a big story that the AP broke, about an al-Qaeda plot originating in Yemen on the anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death. Uh, a bomb plot originating in Yemen that was foiled when the device, and I remember the story when it happened, when the device, instead of being turned over to the people who would blow it up and detonate it, that it was given to an undercover CIA agent. The AP broke that story, and now we, want, now we are learning that what the Associated Press wanted and why they bugged the AP's phones and took all their phone records, Court order, no court order, we don't know. The Associated Press had no prior knowledge of it. No ability to fight it in court. None. The government, maybe they asked for a warrant in their nonsense court. Maybe they didn't. Uh, but because there were words on this phone conversation, I'm sure, like bomb plot and al-Qaeda, I'm sure the government felt well within its rights to go ahead and take this information. So what the government is clearly trying to do, because the AP wasn't involved in, obviously, in anything to do with the plot, but the AP got the story, and the government wants to uncover the leak of that story, a story that was completely true. So, the Associated Press has responded uh, with this. This is from Gary Pruitt. He's the uh, president and CEO of the Associated Press. Here's his quote. There can be no possible justification for such an overbroad collection of the telephone communications of the Associated Press and its reporters. These records potentially reveal communications with confidential sources across all of the news gathering activities undertaken by the AP during a two-month period, providing a roadmap to the AP's news gathering operations and disclose information about AP's activities uh, and operations that the government has no conceivable right to know. So that's from uh, Gary Pruitt, the president and CEO of the AP. Uh, 
this is this yay you guys the americans we wanted the patriot act we decided not to object significantly to the patriot act and this is the patriot act in question you got reporters from the associated press doing their job uncovering a significant story and interesting also here the ap cooperated with the government on the story the ap reporters got this story and then the white house asked the associated press to hold the story for five days for fear that it would might compromise parts of the investigation and the associated press complied and held on to the story with the white house saying hold on to it you can run it eventually but for national security hold the ap did everything proper everything that they're supposed to do and now the government the justice department and eric holder have come and let the uh, ap know that they know the calls that the ap reporters made that they know how who they called AP personal numbers in addition to their phone in the press gallery of the House of Representatives and some of their office phones. It's outrageous. They didn't have, you know, normally in a situation like this, if the government wants something like that, they go to court and ask, and then the AP goes to court and says, we're not going to give you that information. We're protecting our sources. Now they've just skipped that step. The government has just said, no, no, we're going to take it. And now the AP's going back and saying, hey, we, we, we need you to... Uh, uh, forget that you ever learned this information and destroy the records. Like, what difference is it? Make? First of all, they're not going to destroy the records. They could say they could destroy the records. There's no one to check. There is no check. There's no balance. It's a very frustrating story to see a news organization break a true story, cooperate with the government on it, and then get screwed by the government anyway, by an overbroad, overreaching government that has no limits on its power whatsoever. Uh, and the issue would be, again, you see the graphic that we created with this. I mean, this is this is what you expect from George Bush and Dick Cheney. But here it is from Barack Obama and Eric Holder. talking about essentially five reporters who worked on this story Matt Apuzo Adam Goldman and they had contributions from Kimberly Dozier Eileen Sullivan and Alan Fram now if you really want to dig into this and, and maybe we'll have her on to talk about it but this stuff gets incredibly weedy But Marcy Wheeler over at EmptyWheel.net um, <clears throat> has been pursuing these aspects of these leaks, among other stories, uh, for quite some time. She notes that over this two-month period in early 2012, with the Department of Justice... Um, getting the records of 20 separate phone lines, as well as home phones and cell phone records seized by the department, that there were other stories written by the AP, and particularly a story by Kimberly Dozier, 
reporting on the drone program. She notes one uh, Kimberly Dozier story published May 21st, of course, which would fall within this two-month period of reporting. White House counter-terror chief John Brennan has seized the lead in guiding a debate on which terror leaders will be targeted for drone attacks or raids, establishing a new procedure to vet both military and CIA targets. It goes on. Within 10 days of the time Dozier published that story, uh, Empty Wheel notes, John Brennan had rolled out an enormous propaganda campaign based on descriptions of the drone targeting process that Brennan's power grab had replaced. So over these two months, there was stories about the signature strikes, about the undie bomb, about John Brennan taking over drone targeting from JSOC. Uh, on and on and on. Stories that intertwine with other stories. Marcy Wheeler speculates, and it's just speculation. She write, Well, I'll read what she says. Frankly, I think the witch hunt response to the Undie Bomb 2.0 plot was mostly just an excuse to start investigating the AP. Though it did lead John Brennan to make it clear that it was a Saudi-manufactured plot in the first place. But the response to that Dozier article, which provided the final piece of evidence for the timeline above showing Brennan grabbed control of the drone targeting at roughly the moment we started signature strikes in Yemen, was more dramatic, at least in terms of the breathtaking propaganda White House rolled out to pretend the drone strikes were more orderly than they actually were. She surmises that Pruitt, and this is the um, head of the AP, noting the breadth and scope of the records that were found, he is indicating that he thinks the Department of Justice was looking for other stories as well, beyond the one that they purportedly are investigating, to find other leakers. So this is out there. We're starting to see calls for Holder's resignation. It is unlikely from what I've gathered that the White House would be kept abreast of this investigation, partly because ostensibly it is going after people who may very well be at the White House. Or, I don't know, sitting atop the CIA at this point. It's simply unclear at this point. At that time, John Brennan was a counterterrorism advisor to President Obama, his top counterterrorism advisor. So it is unlikely that the White House is aware of this, of course, But that doesn't mean that uh, President Obama doesn't have responsibility. Holder is his department, his chief of the uh, uh, 
at the uh, Department of Justice. And it's just another trend, my friend, that leads to no beginnings or ends. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. Go late, then go back to sleep. You just want some time that you can keep. Well, you couldn't write anything this absurd if you wanted to. One day after the White House put out 100 pages of uh, Benghazi-related emails, we now have a report, Lewis, which alleges that Republicans released a set of the same emails with altered text. Yes, after all of the obvious evidence that Benghazi is a scandal, uh, Republicans get caught altering Benghazi-related emails. Now, I'm no expert, Lewis, in crisis management and logic and reason, but wouldn't it go against your instincts to say that uh, you need to edit emails if there really is a scandal? In other words, if there's really a scandal, why are you doctoring emails? I would say it's not worth the risk. Right, exactly. Yeah. Why, why, why risk getting caught if there's really such a huge scandal here? Now, what happened was that there was a, the, the Republican Party leaked versions of the emails that were eventually released by the White House related to Benghazi, and they had some pretty noticeable differences to the official emails. Now, of course, some conspiracy theorists will say, no, 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 obviously you can trust leaked emails from those looking to shame the administration way more than you can trust the emails that you get from the administration involved in the sending and receiving of those emails. If that's what you believe, I probably can't say anything on this show to convince you otherwise, right? right. But putting that aside, here's the Republican version here of National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes's email, okay? This is, this is what he, this is what the Republican Party says he wrote. We must make sure that the talking points reflect all agency equities, including those of the State Department, and we don't want to undermine the FBI investigation. White House released the same email, and it says, We need to resolve this in a way that respects all of the relevant equities, particularly the investigation. Hmm, why do you need to expand on something? It's almost like the Republican email, the Republican version of that email adds words to make explicit things which may or may not be implicit in Ben Rhodes's actual email to try to make explicit the storylines and players that the Republican narrative has been taking, which is of the FBI, which is of conflict with the State Department, so on and so forth. That's the impression I get from the edits that were done. Right. And, I mean, I, it may be that what he deduced from the original sentence was what he changed it to, and he wanted to put it into, uh, you know, layman's terms to try and convince people that, uh, well, just to try and show people that this is what he thinks it means. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we get past the fact that 
Republican Party leaked these emails, then we say, oh, not only did they leak them, they edited the emails. Right. Huge scandal, completely separate, doesn't need any doctoring at all. But let's just edit some emails before we leak them. Makes perfect but sense. It's, it's brilliant, though. Because, I mean, think about it. If they're trying to convince the fringe majority to help them in the 2014 elections, right, it's kind of brilliant. You say, look, they edited the, t the administration edited the talking points. Here are the talking points. Then the administration releases the talking points. They don't sync up. And you say, see, they edited them. We released the correct ones. <laughs> and then they edited them to make them look different. It is like a perfect conspiracy. That's, that's what people will love about it. Right. Now, that is not stopping any number of reputable media outlets from now, and, and non-reputable, to be completely honest, from now saying, we, we just don't have anything here. The Washington Post, for example, the internal debate did not include political interference from the White House, according to the emails that were released. Ryan Lizza, that is the opposite of the line peddled by Republican sources Friday, portraying some kind of sinister role for the White House. What is becoming very clear from any version of these emails is that the White House just was not involved in this non-scandal. Washington Post, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Associated Press. Then CIA Director David Petraeus objected to the final talking points because he wanted to see more details revealed to the public not because the White House was deliberately trying to mislead, as was the narrative from the conspiracy right all of this time. Uh, Sarah Jones, last thing I want to mention on this, Sarah Jones, uh, who wrote for Politics USA, makes a, I couldn't make this point any better, so I'll just read what she wrote. The real scandal, the only scandal, is that your so-called free press is once again pretending as if Republicans are not lying to them. They are pretending that House Republicans did not feed a lie to the press in order to forward their BS Benghazi narrative. The press is very busy and important moving forward the narrative that there is a scandal. Oh, you might be impressed at first that they finally found the courage so clearly missing during the Bush years when they scraped the lies off of the administration's feet with subservience and deference befitting propaganda outlets. But you'd only be impressed if you didn't look any deeper. You see, there is one consistency here, and that is that when Republicans lie to the press, the public and Congress, from weapons of mass destruction to Benghazi, the press carries their water like the corporate serfs they are couldn't possibly say it any better. There's another example of a journalist getting it wrong. So this was written in the um, Wall Street Journal. So here is uh, Kimberly Strassel. Here's what she wrote in the Wall Street Journal, right? In the Wall Street Journal, this is what she wrote. Okay, here we go. She says, the media in Congress are sleuthing for some hint that Mr. Obama picked up the phone and sicked the tax dogs on his enemies. That's not how things work in post-Watergate Washington. Mr. Obama didn't need to pick up the phone. All he needed to do was exactly what he did do in full view for three years. Publicly suggest that conservative political groups were engaged in nefarious deeds. Publicly call out by name political opponents whom he'd like to see harassed. And publicly have his party pressure the IRS to take action. See, so what she's saying is that, of course, President Obama didn't pick up the phone and call the IRS. He didn't have to. He just kind of, you know, uh, said things, and the people at the IRS picked up on his cues. 
And then they, yeah, so, you know, uh, uh, Peggy Noonan said the exact same thing. She said that it was all a dog whistle. That uh, yes, that Obama. That that's what the scandal is. Is that Obama put out a dog whistle that inspired the IRS to do this? See, well, that's the but that's written in the Wall Street see, Wall Street Journal, and they might not have any proof. But fortunately for them, they don't need any. Apparently, <laughs> apparently you can just That's make stuff up. So what she's saying, so what she so and by the way, the key piece of information here is that the guy who was running the IRS when this happened was a guy named Schuler or Schulman, 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 who was a George Bush appointee. Right. So this is a guy who was a Bush appointee running the IRS, and somehow he's doing the dirty work for Barack Obama, and he's keeping it secret. Somehow. He is, he is really incompetent he, if he's helping Obama. Yeah. <laughs> how come yeah. those dog whistles don't work with other organizations like the FDA or the Justice Department, you know, really uh, prosecute BP and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, every, everything, you know? Uh, but, but it just works with the IRS, I guess. Well, the point that she's making... And again, this is in the Wall Street Journal. The point she's making is that Obama's already guilty of being president. That's really it. Guilty as charged. He's, he's the president. He's wrong. So this lady shouldn't write for Boys Life, let alone Wall Street <laughs> Journal. So the, correct, Robert. So the, 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 here's the thing. So the guy who was in charge of the IRS at the time is a guy named Shulman, right? So here he is. Last April. This guy was testifying in front of Congress last year, right? Last April. So yeah. a I'm talking about April of 2012. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Thanks. April 2012. And here's he was asked if they were doing this. And here's the guy. Here's the chairman of the committee asking him if you are targeting Tea Party We've organizations. Seen some recent press allegations that the IRS is targeting certain Tea Party groups across the country, uh, um, requesting what have been described as owner's document request, um, delaying approval for. Approval for approval for tax exempt status. Can you give us assurances that the IRS is not targeting particular groups based on political leanings? Just let me start by saying yes, I can give you assurances. Um, as you know, we pride ourselves on being a non political, nonpartisan organization. Uh, there's absolutely no targeting. Okay, so that was the guy lying, uh, that uh, saying they weren't targeting them when they were targeting them. So that's the guy who's responsible, and that's the guy who also lied to Congress about it. So what happened? Obama fired his successor. What's the problem? <laughs> I mean, Obama proved he was serious about punishing those people responsible by firing the guy who wasn't responsible. Yes, and by the way, Chris Matthews, uh, I happened to see him. When right after Obama had made that announcement, and that was an example of Chris Matthews talking about how great Obama's leadership is. Yes, because he, he fired somebody. Impressed. And actually, I remember he had Howard Feynman on, and they were both talking about that the scandals were over. Obama is just proving how great he is, and, and there's nothing to worry about anymore. So, And the most important thing about this whole crisis, Frank, is that the guy who was head of the IRS... When they were supposedly targeting conservatives, he was a Republican who was appointed by George right. Bush. So kind of unlikely that a Bush appointee would be doing the dirty work for Obama. But here is the White House spokesman, this guy, Daniel Pfeiffer. They sent out to the Sunday shows last Sunday to make that very point that I just made twice. That, hey, the guy in charge was a Bush appointee, so it kind of this is all null and void. Plus, the inspector general's report said that this wasn't political. Those are the two big pieces of information that aren't really being reported hardly at all. So here's a guy, so here's the Daniel Pfeiffer who goes on Meet the Press to make that very point 
very weakly. <laughs> very weakly. Here he is making that point. Head of the IRS when this happened was actually a Bush appointee because the IRS appointments extend beyond one presidency. And two... That, that's it. That's uh, The guy who was, uh, was the head of the IRS was uh, a Bush appointee because they extended... Number two, what would you... Could you gloss over it more, Captain? Gloss over stuff? Are you kidding me? Here, here, I'll, let me look, here's him making that point, which he should have screamed at the top of his lungs and said really slowly. Here's how he does say it. Head of the IRS when this happened was actually a Bush appointee because the IRS appointments extend beyond one presidency. And two, the person, the, the acting commissioner is a career uh, civil servant. The other question is, should Congress... And, and of course, yes. David Gregory just goes, keeps going. Like, well, whatever. I don't know what you just said. I'm just going to ask you my next question. <laughs> so, again... It doesn't fit in with my narrative, so we're going to keep going. Yes, of course. So the two big things you have to remember, I'll say it for the third time. Bush appointee in charge of the IRS. The inspector general said it wasn't political. And, of course, when the... Barack Obama's spokesperson goes on TV, he almost never says that, and when he does, he says it in very harsh tones, because he's trying not to piss anybody off, because that's worked so well for Barack Obama so far. <laughs> the reasonable guy. Yes. Be soft-spoken, and when you do mention it, do it hurried. Do it in a very <laughs> hurried way. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. It has been a rough week for the president, uh, Barack Obama. Uh, you know, we've had this whole... Uh, AP Department of Justice kerfuffle, and uh, the president was speaking with uh, the Turkish Prime Minister today in the White House Rose Garden and took a couple questions which he hasn't been too happy to do the last few days, uh, and he said this. They can put uh, some of our intelligence officers who are in various dangerous situations that are easily compromised at risk. U.S. national security uh, is uh, dependent on those folks being able to operate uh, with confidence that folks back home have their backs. <laughs> so they're not just left out there uh, high and dry uh, and potentially put in even more danger than they may already be. Uh, and so I make no apologies, and I don't think the American people would expect me as Commander-in-Chief not to be concerned about information that might compromise their missions or might get them killed. Wow. So there's a lot of subtext there and some full frontal text. Um, <laughs> yes. True. So is the full frontal text? Is I that think a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's a good way to it's put it. It's not dorsal text. First off, most obviously, his hair is getting grayer by the minute. Yes. Is that just, is that no, stress? No, that's not your that imagination. That's, uh, he's not using just for men. That's no, he every, every time he caves into the Republicans, he gets another <laughs> gray hair. That's what happens. Exactly. Uh, now, he said a couple interesting things there because this idea that, yes, he believes in freedom of speech, but that the government has to go ahead and do things that we can't quite know about. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, those who give up liberty 
for security deserve neither. And we're now faced with this as Americans. Uh, what do you think about his comments? Well, when he said that, you know, they need to know that Americans have their back, that we have their backs. And, and I don't think that that is exactly what we're talking about here, because obviously during the Bush administration, there were all kinds of leaks going on. And the Bush administration was also very involved in uh, subpoenaing Subpoena Ng, yes, yeah, Subpoena Ng, yep. uh, uh, journalists, uh, emails, phone records, etc. I mean, Brian Ross back in 2006 for ABC. You know, he was actually told in person because they didn't trust phones or cells or emails or anything. He was told in person, "We know who you're calling, and you should get new phones immediately." So this is not the first time that this has happened, and that was regarding the CIA black sites. Uh, you know, the, the secret prisons overseas that were being used to torture people against American law. So, and they also uh, the Bush administration also targeted the, the reporters that uh, reported the NSA uh, secret right. uh, wiretapping of people without, so they also went after those people. So this isn't anything new, and it's funny that the only thing that Barack Obama should be apologizing for this week is the thing he isn't apologizing for, <laughs> right? He shouldn't be apologizing for anything else. This is wrong, what they're doing. So when Absolutely. he says... So are, are we Absolutely. all agreed that this is, out of the three big scandals right now, this, that is, all the happening, actual, this, this yes. is the one we're all agreed on that? Well, this is the only one that should be a scandal, and you know, when he says that the, the people who are doing work for us overseas need to know that uh, we, ha we have their backs. So the people who are doing the good work to protect the United States and its constitution and its way of life, they need to know that back here, the president is shitting all over that work 100% <laughs> of the time and making sure that the constitution and freedom of speech and the press, the fourth estate, isn't allowed to do its job because now what they've done is they've made sure that nobody is going to ever talk to the AP again if they're afraid for their own safety. Right, and there's a couple fascinating things here. I mean, the Department of Justice already has been on the record saying they can go through your emails and your Facebook messages yes, they and can your give Twitter you National DMs. security letters where now, they're not even allowed to tell you that they've stolen your stuff. Right. Now, and we all have that stuff. We all have the digital communication. Uh, but now that this is about the press, do you think that we may get to the breaking point here because the press, when it's something about them, then they get very concerned. Well, they didn't get that concerned during the Bush administration. There was some yelling and screaming and, and belly aching about it, but it didn't change much of anything. So I think it's really ironic now that, you know, suddenly Republicans care about this kind of thing. They care about government overreach, whereas they didn't care just a few short years ago. Yeah. It seems the only uh, time that... The, the press is not going to, uh, they're not going to fight back on this. It seems that the only ones that are is the AP is kind of upset. Like, they're the only ones really ra raising a ruckus. About, you know, uh, Brian Williams isn't pissed off. Well, the network, you know, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, the network guys seem to be pretty quiet about it. So there's been a little more oh, online yeah. stuff. The BuzzFeed guys, the mm -hmm. Politico guys, they seem to be... Your rank. gawker. Yeah, your gawkers. Those, they're wonderful, hard-hitting news. Yeah, there's a little more there. But do you think this is one of those things where the news cycle, unfortunately, is so quick these days that no matter how big or legitimate a scandal is that we just are going to let it go in three days? Yes, I do think that, and I think that the people who have been overwhelmed with uh, with big stories and non... See, the thing is, they can't... What, what we, the media used to do was decipher between what was the bullshit scandals and what were real scandals, and we'll kind of filter through the news for you, but now they don't. They just report everything as how the person saying it wants it reported. So yeah. the right wing wants Benghazi to be a scandal, it's a scandal, right? The right wing wants the IRS thing to be a scandal, it's a scandal, even though it's not a scandal. Yeah. Exactly, and I know 
I think what's going to happen here, you know, and sad to say, because this is actually an extremely serious issue of uh, the United States uh, government not following their own regulations when it comes to this kind of surveillance. But what I think we'll find is that Republicans are not going to press Obama on any of this because they actually love abusing press freedom. And if they don't want to talk about it, then, you know, the corporate media guys, they probably won't talk about it either. As you say, they follow the lead of the Republicans. How much do you guys think we inherently have to trust the government? At some level, we have to trust in a way that they are going to do the right thing. Now, of course, all of us in the media business, we don't want them tapping our phones uh -huh. or, or taking the phone records, etc. But there are national security. We don't know things that the president knows. It's just a fact. So how much leeway can we give them before we actually are giving away? Well, I, you know, I don't think we trust the government at all. Uh, I, I think that's why there's checks and balances, and uh, that's why uh, there's different branches of government that are supposed to check each other. That's why we have the First Amendment uh, in the Constitution, because the press is supposed to play a vital role in checking government power. Yeah. And so once you undermine that, you're undermining our way of governing. You're undermining our way of life, and uh, it's, that's not good. Yeah. What, what did you think about his line just specifically saying no apology? <laughs> because I, do you think he's doing so? He's going like sort of so over the top. It's like I'm going to so double down on mm -hmm. this that that's what's going to stop me because I know you guys really don't want to fight me. Well, I think really. he's using that as an excuse to basically say, look, see how strong I am. I'm strong on defense because that's something that uh, Democrats are <laughs> traditionally uh, yes. hit for even if there's no basis for it in reality. I've never seen anything like this in my 18 years uh, covering tornadoes here in Oklahoma City. This is, without question, the most horrific Okay, For a little while, the Oklahoma tornado sucked the oxygen from the firestorm of coverage of what's been portrayed as the three-headed scandal monster that's plaguing the White House. That's the impact of devastating weather, at once mysterious and straightforward, personal and public. It commands coverage, and the media can do a good job just by showing up. Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon. I want to say thank you so very much to the media. The media has done a superb job over the last couple of days of keeping people informed. But the monster roared back. The IRS scandal centers on a feckless, unsupervised, overworked office in Cleveland tasked with assessing a group's nonprofit status. That office targeted Tea Party groups with intrusive questionnaires and long delays. The IRS chief, later fired, said that the profiling wasn't political. Keywords were used to shortcut the process. And it turns out some liberal groups with progress in their names were mistreated too. But eggs still splashed copiously over the face of the IRS and the president. Here's Fox News' Andrea Tentaros. When Brian Williams is talking Watergate, Jon Stewart stops covering for you, and even tax cheat Charlie Rangel won't stick up for you, things are not looking good at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. 
true, Democrats and the media have embraced the IRS story, but conservative legislators and commentators have really put pedal to the metal in pressing the charge that the administration lied, or worse, in connection with last September's attack on the diplomatic mission in Benghazi. The most extreme view holds that the president ignored warnings that could have saved four American lives because it was election season and he'd have to admit al-Qaeda was still a threat. That's the take of retired Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters. This Obama administration, in this case, was cowardly, duplicitous, and they sacrificed American lives for politics. Fox News showcased that view, as well as the claim that soon after the attacks, the White House edited out of its talking points all references to al-Qaeda. Some objected to the president not calling it terrorism. He did call it an act of terror, but apparently that's not the same thing. On such minutiae, this scandal has revolved. But it didn't get much traction until ABC reporter Jonathan Carl leapt in with an exclusive report about the government's talking points. I have obtained 12 different versions of those talking points that shows that they were dramatically edited by the administration. Take a look at two of them. On the left, a draft initially written by the CIA. On the right, one that was used by the White House, the final version. What was taken out? All references to Al-Qaeda and all references to CIA warnings before the attack about the terror threat in Benghazi. Even more important than those 12 versions was Carl's proof that they had been rewritten by the White House, proof supplied by an email about the talking points by White House aide Ben Rhodes. Carl quotes the smoking sentence, which read, We must make sure that the talking points reflect all agency equities, including those of the State Department. The implication being that the White House itself intervened to shape the narrative for political advantage. I think you can't overstate the importance of John Carl's report. Alex cites Wald is Salon's political reporter. That report catapulted to the top of the news cycle. It became the biggest issue in Congress. The White House was rocked back on its heels. They held a series of deep background calls with the reporters to try to spin the narrative again, and it forced them to eventually release the entire uh, 100 pages of emails the next week, which they had said for weeks and weeks and months they were not going to do. So this was a really explosive report, and it turned out to be wrong. Turned out, Carl only had a summary of the Rhodes email leaked by a Republican staffer, not the email itself. The actual email didn't mention the State Department or even talking points. All Rhodes, the White House guy, wrote was, quote, We need to resolve this in a way that respects all relevant entities, particularly the investigation. That one email was what showed that the White House was being political, was being nefarious, was trying to massage the narrative. And once you remove that, uh, the entire story falls apart. Whether Carl Source made a mistake or intended mischief, we'll never know. But the ensuing brouhaha spurred Carl to send a statement to CNN's Howie Kurtz. Why him? We'll never know. But he read it. I regret the email was quoted incorrectly, and I regret that it's become a distraction from the story, which still entirely stands. I should have been clearer about the attribution. 
by which Carl means he and his network shouldn't have lied about it, which provides a sort of segue to scandal number three, the threat to journalism. First, the Justice Department investigating a leak obtained the phone records of the Associated Press, and then in another probe got phone records for Fox News and its reporter, James Rosen. In the course of getting the information it sought, the investigators labeled him an aider and better and or co-conspirator in an espionage case involving an intelligence leak on North Korea's nuclear program. Court documents filed in the prosecution of Rosen's alleged State Department source included what appear to be at least five Fox News phone numbers and Rosen's parents' number in Staten Island. This is the scandal that most seems to outrage journalists. Here's Koki Roberts with Joe Scarborough on MSNBC's Morning Joe. This reporter being prosecuted for what? Apparently for, for, for what? Apparently for receiving stolen information, like he's a fence or something, stolen property. So it is. This is, it is this is Daniel Ellsberg. Like right, forty years later, I'm basically I, I, being prosecuted for if he is prosecuted for doing this. This is something that is that has unified Democrats and Republicans and MSNBC and Fox. The Justice Department denied it tracked Rosen's parents' calls and says it doesn't plan to prosecute Rosen. It has acknowledged reading Rosen's emails. The president said Thursday that the Justice Department will review its policy for investigating media leaks so that journalists are not at legal risk for doing their jobs. But all this sent a chill through news outlets, reporters, and sources, and in the long run, that's not good for the public, like it cares. Well, I mean, Washington scandals don't attract a lot of interest for the most part. Carol Darty of the Pew Research Center, which conducted a poll between May 16th and 19th, found that only about a quarter of respondents were closely following the Benghazi and IRS scandals, and only 16% cared about the DOJ subpoenas of AP phone records. The wall-to-wall coverage of the affair between President Bill Clinton and intern Monica Lewinsky and the ensuing impeachment inspired much more interest but also contempt. According to Gallup, three-quarters of the public said that the coverage was way overblown. I mean, in fact, Clinton's approval rating went up famously through the impeachment scandal, and it was one reason why uh, you know, the, the, the Republicans themselves were accused of overreaching on it. But in this case, so far, and the emphasis is on so far, there's been no apparent effect on Obama's job approval rating. The public cares about the economy. Even during those polling days in May, when economic news was scarce, it beat the scandals. And the perception is the economy is getting a little better. One of the reasons that Obama has avoided scandal for so long, at least by the terms I use in my research, is the economy's been so bad that there's been very little incentive for Republicans to push scandal allegations. But as the economy's improved, that incentive has changed. That's Dartmouth political science professor Brendan Nyan, back in 2012. He defines scandal as, quote, a socially constructed event in which the pundit class decides that a public figure has acted in a manner that contravenes established moral, political, or procedural norms. In other words, a news anchor calls something a scandal without quotes. A newspaper puts it in a headline, and it's a scandal, because we say it is. 
Of course, some scandals are real. They're huge. They're news. Not every scandal is made up. The content matters. But what I am saying is that on the margin, the political and media context in which an allegation is made can make the difference between a controversy fizzling and going onto the front page. In the meantime, as current scandals lose their new car smell, the people who write and the people who speak, especially on MSNBC, are nominating their own. There is a real scandal this week. We learned that for the second time in two weeks, a military member who was specifically tasked with preventing sexual assault in the military had himself been charged with sexual assault. Any organization. With the name of a political party in its title, from the Democratic Party to the Tea Party to the Socialist Workers Party, every single such application should have been rejected for 501c4 status as a matter of law. The real scandal here is not that those applications were delayed. But that they were ever approved. You've got to hand it to the Republicans. In a week when they've obsessed over scandals, they've managed to miss an actual scandal. That's their 37th vote to repeal the president's health care law. But the right is in on it too. The real scandal, suggested Chuck Bentley in the Washington Post, is unbridled government spending, which he dubbed profligate. The real scandal, wrote the Weekly Standard's Bill Kristol, is the Obama administration, which quote degrades popular self-government and embraces American decline. The real scandal, wrote Washington Times columnist Jeffrey Cooner. Is the president himself quote a political thug masquerading as a progressive reformer? Hey, try it yourself. It's fun. No, it isn't. The real scandal, of course, is that on Capitol Hill, scandal mongering masquerades as righteousness and marinates us all in muck. The IRS Tea Party controversy and the targeting of journalists at the AP and Fox News. There's no doubt that the Washington press corps is in full scandal mode. Benghazi seems like less of a scandal than ever, but it's been covered as one from the start, which raises the obvious question: Why are some stories given the full-scale scandal treatment? Some coverage gives us clues. In the May 16th Washington Post, Karen Tumulty had a piece headlined "Obama Struggles to Get Beyond a Scandal Trifecta," but the subhead was more revealing. President's adversaries say recent revelations point to larger truths. As she put it, the worst scandals are the ones that feed a pre-existing storyline. What she means is that Obama's conservative critics say he has a big government philosophy and has contempt for those who oppose him. They've been saying this all along, and now here's the evidence. But many of these people also think a healthcare law that expands private insurance is something like socialism, and they say that every scandal is the new Watergate. 
Reporters like Tumulty apparently define their jobs as amplifying those claims with little critical examination. A few days later, Tumulty's Post colleague Chris Saliza wrote a piece lamenting the fact that partisanship obscures reality. Republicans say the current scandal show Obama's big government true colors, but Democrats disagree. Saliza explains that, quote, how you think about things depends almost entirely on the party with which you align yourself, close quote. Well, sure, but it's supposed to be journalism's job to examine those worldviews and push back when politicians exaggerate or lie. If not, anything can be a scandal, so long as one party keeps saying so. Hi, this is Jill in California. I just wanted to respond to Wade's most recent comment about homosexuality and why he might be uncomfortable with it. Hey, Jay, it's Wade again. Not that this has ever happened to me, but if some man came up and introduced another man to me as his husband, I honestly think I would laugh. I would feel silly. Feel like I'm playing house. His comment about uh, wanting to giggle if he's introduced to someone and his husband made me wonder if it has something to do with his view of straight marriage and um, whether or not he feels like there's an inherent power differential in there that should be between a man and a woman and if he's uncomfortable with a man playing the woman's role in a marriage. I'm not a psychologist and I wouldn't presume to play one at this distance from my armchair, but that's just a thought that popped into my mind. Um, in general, I think Wade sounds like a very tolerant individual. He spends more time listening to liberal media than I ever could listen to uh, conservative media. So kudos to Wade. Jay, you do a great job. I'm a recent subscriber, and I do one of these days have to figure out how to get that bonus content from you. So keep up the good work. Thanks. Hi, Jay. This is... <clears throat> Ian from Baltimore, I was just calling because I heard the caller mention the fact that bacteria on turkey isn't a big deal because you cook turkey before you eat it. Now, he's partially right. You're less likely to get uh, the bacteria in your system from, the, uh, from ingestion when you cook it correctly, but there's a number of problems when it's multiple disease re- or multiple antibiotic-resistant staph infection, which is also contagious. And it will stay on surfaces that the turkey has touched, which means you have to clean your countertop with bleach after you uh, cut up any sort of poultry. Uh, Otherwise, you're potentially exposing yourself to unknown number of bacteria and viruses. So I just wanted to pass that information along because that's an oft-neglected part of the whole food chain. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So as I'm sure you can imagine, I could have easily done three full episodes, you know, one on each of the, the you know, so-called scandals talked about in, in today's episode, but... 
as I think was shown, you know, a couple of the of the scandals. Although, like, I get why they were in the news, I get why they got brought up in the first place. Turns out that it doesn't appear that there's, uh, you know, much there there. Uh, so, you know, but of course that leaves one where that I think actually is a pretty big legitimate issue to, to be dealt with. So rest assured that I will be following up on uh, on that particular issue and, you know, surrounding uh, topics in future episodes. Uh, but for now, just a quick update on uh, the, the poll I'm taking. In the previous episode, I asked listeners to call into the voicemail line with an answer to the question, what do you like about being the race that you are, whatever race that happens to be? And th- this is, I mean, obviously there's no wrong answer to this question, but it's, it's not even a political question. It, it's really, it's, it's sort of open to interpretation however you want. I mean, this is a political show, obviously, but this question doesn't have to be. It's, it's really just uh, that, you know, everyone's life is unique. Uh, everyone's race plays some role in how they live their lives. It's very natural. And, you know, and everyone has things they like about their lives that is, that is, uh, impacted by their race. And so I'm just trying to get a sense of that. And although I don't have like updated demographic information on the show, you know, I, I know that it skews to, uh, you know, to the white side of the spectrum, um, that's true. So the, the calls that have come in so far have been reflecting that. It's about five to one, uh, white callers versus, you know, anything other than white. And, you know, rest assured, the, the, the little sort of exercise that I, I plan to do with these calls and, and what I'm going to talk about, uh, when I play them, it, it'll still work. I mean, if we, if we don't get like a big, broad spectrum uh, of responses, it's not going to destroy uh, the idea, but it wor- would work a little bit better. So, you know, unfortunately, I-, I have to ask, if you are a person of color of any kind and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and feel like calling in, your, uh, your, your message would be much appreciated to, to fill the gap that, uh, that is there at the moment. So again, the number to call if you're interested in joining that conversation is 202-999-3991. And, you know, I mentioned in the last episode, I'll, I'll do it again. I promise this is not a trick question. No one's going to, you know, feel uh, that they are being made fun of or, you know, made to sound racist or anything like this. It's kind of a sensitive subject, but I, I have no reason to believe that anyone will be made to feel, you know, really uncomfortable or, or, uh, you know, or offended or anything like that when all is said and done. So that's that. And that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations to the program. That is absolutely how the show survives. Uh, stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC. My name is Jay, and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com black and white took a picture that wasn't right